I would like to welcome Professor Marion de Cra from the University Hospitals of Leuven, where she is head of the pulmonary hypertension program. At this year's ESC Congress, you co-chaired the session presenting the 2022 ESC ERS guideline for the diagnosis and treatment of pulmonary hypertension. Thank you for accepting our invitation and highlighting the most important points uh, of the new recommendations. Okay, so thank you for the uh, opportunity to speak again about this uh, nice uh, uh, effort, team effort that we had uh, by, by producing these guidelines. So what is the most important changes? What are the most important changes in these guidelines is the, uh, that we um, change the definition of pulmonary hypertension. Before we spoke about mean pulmonary arterial pressure above 25 millimeters mercury, uh, in order to speak about pulmonary hypertension. Now, this, uh, this cutoff value has been moved to 20, more than 20, um, as a consequence of more uh, of better knowledge, uh, so that we know that the normal pressure are more in the range of 15, so uh, 25 are really high in comparison with that. And second, uh, in, in many of the causes of pulmonary hypertension, having more than 20 already affects the long-term prognosis, the survival of the patients. Mm -hmm. And when I speak about more causes, then I come to the classification, and the classification has now changed a lot. So we have still five groups of pulmonary hypertension, the pulmonary arterial hypertension, group one, the pulmonary hypertension uh, associated with left heart disease, group two, with lung disease, group three, with chronic obstruction of the pulmonary vessel-like chronic thromboembolic pulmonary hypertension group four, and then the very rare disease associated to pH. So this has not changed, a, a small cosmetic arrangement. Uh, what has changed again is the diagnostic algorithm because we, we thought it was better to follow really the patient's uh, journey. And the patient journey started at a GP and the GP is faced the patients with uh, shortness of breath at exercise, which is progressive, sometimes syncope, sometimes uh, edema of lower legs or other symptoms of right heart failures. And he has to start with the classical simple examination, the, 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 the chest X-ray, the uh, EKG and the, and, the, and the labs. And, and then, well, he will not think immediately about permanent tension or perhaps he will because the symptoms of pulmonary hypertension are very common. So shortness of breath at exercise can be a symptom of any heart and lung disease. So, so he, sometimes the disease is already present in the family or there are signs of, of uh, severe disease which uh, should, should uh, uh, convince the GP to send the patient directly to a pH center. But most of the time he will... Uh, he will do the second step and send the patients to a cardiologist and to the pneumologist. And both these specialists will do their uh, usual uh, examination. And then they have to cross talk in order to look at the most frequent causes like uh, left heart uh, failure or, or COPD. If it is not the case, and they, they have argument for hypertension at the echo, then they send the patients to the uh, pH center, and in the pH center, you have then 
perhaps uh, extensive imaging, if it is chronic thromboembolipermap tension, or other uh, uh, tests done, uh, and the treatment is started. And so this is really the three phases, and, and it's very important because the disease is, is not diagnosed early at, the, at in this time because it's a, it's a rare disease which can present with frequent symptoms. So you need really to be aware of the existence of permahypertension. Permahypertension occurs in about 1% of the population, but, but the vast majority is associated with left heart failure and with uh, COPD. And so these are cases where you treat the disease which is the origin of permahypertension, you don't treat permahypertension itself. You treat permahypertension, which is in group one and group four. And there you have very specific treatments, uh, sometimes expensive treatments, who need to be performed in centers which have sufficient number of patients because this disease, these two entities are quite rare. That's why you send to, need to send them to a center where they collate all these uh, number of patients. In non-vasoreactive patients with idiopathic inheritable or drug-associated pulmonary hypertension, so in group 1 patients, uh, cardiopulmonary comorbidities and the risk assessment determine therapy. What are the possible choices? Okay, so you have seen that again this had changed, this uh, therapeutic algorithm, because uh, after having done the reversibility testing for patients with uh, idiopathic, heritable, or drug-associated pH, and when this test is negative, we give general measures concerning anticoagulation and diuretics and things like that. And then the first question we are asking, indeed, it has the patient's important cardiopulmonary comorbidities. And this has appeared as a consequence of the fact that the population is aging, we have now very few patients in, in the Western countries who have uh, the, the usual profile of young lady, 40 years old. We have a lot of patients who are older. And of course, they have a bit of heart and a bit of lung disease. And so we, we don't think we treat them on the same way. So the one who have no comorbidity, um, if they are, next step is doing a, a restratification. And the risk ratifications aims to, dis to distinguish the patients who can be treated sim on a simple way with all drugs and the one who need complex therapies. So for low and intermediate risk, you start a combination of two oral drugs being an endothelin receptor antagonist and a phosphodiesterase inhibitors. For the high risk, you need in addition an intravenous of subcutaneous prostacycline. And uh, then you go to the next step, which is a follow-up. Because we think we, when we have started a treatment that everything is set, it's not the case because the most important information that we have is at three at six months to see how these patients react to the treatment. If they are going to low risk, then top, you, you, you do further with your treatment. If they are staying intermediate low risk, then you better add a third oral drug or switch from the phosphodiesterase-5 inhibitor to the guanylate cyclase stimulator, which has also showed additional uh, value. And if the patient is, is high intermediate or high risk, then we need again to look if the patients have an intravenous of subcutaneous process cycling analog. Um, if he has already, then you need to uh, think about lung transplantation. So of course, it depends from the age. If you have a both 65-year-old, 
normally you don't get any lung transplantation anymore. So, um, and you also don't need to have a lot of comorbidities because uh, lung are scarce. So we need to preserve them and, and give them to the good candidates. So this is the situation for the patients without comorbidities. With the patients with comorbidities, then we are much more cautious. Uh, we give most of the time one drug, most frequently phosphodiase 5 inhibitors, and we look what happens because some patients will improve, but there will be a lot who will not be good with these therapies and who will drop off because of more edema, more uh, oxygen need, more desaturation, uh, and so on. So we need there to be very cautious. Group uh, two and three uh, patients, so those with left heart disease and um, lung disease, represent very heterogeneous uh, patient populations. Um, as you mentioned, uh, what are the most important points that um, you would emphasize here? Well, um, this is uh, the most difficult questions that you have, is these groups two and three, because we have always recommended not to treat these patients with pH drugs because there were no studies showing very, with with uh, with a lot of uh, of evidence that there were no evidence that it really helps. So, what we have for the group two, so left heart disease, is that there is a tendency to define CV a pH. These are the patients where you have. Um, a pulmonary pressure which is increased and a PVR which is above two. Uh, but we, we also make the severe criteria when it is above five uh, wood units. So we think that when a patient with left heart disease has a PVR of more than five, it's worse to send them to a pH center and to see if they can participate to a trial or, if, or perhaps receive medication like a phosphodiesterase 5 inhibitors uh, starting very cautiously. So, so these are the patients where we, we think perhaps there is something to do because we, we are never completely sure that it is not a group one if the PVR is very high. So mm -hmm. we have sometimes patients with 10 wood units who have a bit of left heart disease. They have atrial fibrillation, they are old, they have diabetes, they have arterial hypertension. But having a PBR of 10 is really not normal in this situation. And so, so this needs to have a, a, a special uh, input from people who are used to treat pH. Concerning the group three, uh, we have also a negative recommendation globally for the pH drugs because of uh, worsening of hypoxemia most of the time. But there is one trial just published recently showing that in patients with Phosphodiesterase 5 inhibitors, um, who, uh, sorry, the Phosphodiesterase 5 inhibitors, there were not convincing results in group three, but inhaled, um, there is an inhaled treprostenil, so it is a, uh, a process cycling uh, analog inhaled, which showed interesting results in patients with interstitial lung disease. And that's the first trial, it's a very, uh, um, new concept, and so this needs further documentation, but there is there a door which is potentially opening for these patients. 
There is some change in the present guideline, also in the management strategy for group four chronic thromboembolic patients regarding medical therapy, pulmonary and arterectomy and balloon angioplasty. How should these modalities be used to improve outcomes? So what we think is that these modalities, these modalities should be associated in order to obtain the best results. The first question is if the patient is operable and if the, he can undergo a pulmonary and arterectomy. This is always the preferred treatment and certainly for patients with uh, obstruction of the main and lower and segmental arteries. When you move to patients who have obstruction to more distal, like segmental to subsegmental, then the endarterectomy, the preferred treatment. But we also know that um, it seems that it is better to first start medication in order to uh, have already an effect reducing the mean pulmonary pressure a bit, and then you can decrease the number of complications related to the balloon angioplasty. So we, we generally prefer to look at a patient is operable, you operate, non-operable, you give medical treatment. And then in addition, you can do balloon angioplasty. And the balloon angioplasty was previously a recommendation 2A. So it means it should be uh, it should be used. Now it's a one, uh, which means that it is recommended to do balloon angioplasty. Thank you very much for the interview. Thank you for your...